Hey there, Recharged family. If you're a parent who's struggling or you know a parent who's struggling because their kids are struggling in some way, I want you to know holding on to learning LLC might be able to provide you with some answers to the questions that you have. So many times parents need more insight on how to help their child at home or at school. And to be honest with you, it seems nearly impossible to get all the knowledge that you need to be successful at meetings at school or when you meet with outside agencies or organizations that provide support and services for kids. This is where holding on to learning can help. It's a donation-based service for families who have kids that struggle. So whether it be trying to find out information about IEPs or 504s, or just interventions or accommodations that can be provided at schools, or who knows, maybe you just wanna find out information about a parent-teacher conference. Because yes, if you're not an educator, you might not know how a parent-teacher conference might work. There are no questions that are too silly. I wanna hear what your problems are and see if I can help you with some solutions. I use my years of experience as an educator and also years of experience as a parent who has kids that struggle. I would love to be able to help. So what you can do is contact me, Kyle Hill, by text at 302-492-5117. Leave your name and a brief description of how you'd like me to help you, and I'm happy to get back to you, and we can schedule a time to meet on Zoom. No matter the challenge, I'd love to try to help you and your family. Again, if you can't pay, you don't pay. And if you can pay, it's only a donation. In the end, you've got nothing to lose. Thanks for listening. Now on to the show. We're asking boys to try to express their feelings. We're asking boys to try to express language verbally in written form. We're asking boys to express how, why certain things happen or why they did something. And those things don't always come easy. This is a Holding On Learning LLC production. Hit it! The ideas expressed on this show are not the views of their employer. Besides, if you really want to take advice from this guy, well, you should probably do it at your own risk. You better turn right back around because here comes the short ball dude from the Parents Recharge Show. What is going on, fellow parents? Thank you for dropping in to the Parents Recharge Show. In this episode, we're going to talk about an interesting topic. Those crazy boys that are out there. Oh, they're crazy. At the young ages, they're running all over the places. Their engines don't stop, and they're just disruptive. They get older, they become teens, and those boys are just impulsive. I have a different theory on boys, and it's something that has been near and dear to my heart for many, many years for a variety of reasons. But number one, because when I started as a teacher, I taught fifth grade. I was a fifth grade special education teacher in what we would call a self-contained classroom, and I noticed pretty quickly of the 15, 13 of them were boys. The next year, I was in fifth grade again. I think I had something like 12. Nine or ten were boys. And that trend continued through years to come. And I grew to realize, hmm, these kids that I'm working with, the boys and the girls, they're all pretty amazing individuals. They're all pretty amazing kids. wonder why we have so many boys involved with special education. And then I also started to realize a lot of the behavior challenges in schools, they, were seem, they just seemed to be the boys. That, didn't, that doesn't mean that there weren't girls who were behavior challenges. That, that's certainly 
um, is a possibility, and it sometimes was. But a lot of the boys were disruptive. And I always wondered why that was. So I actually spent quite a few years researching and looking into this specific topic, and I want to share some of those things with you. And I'll tell you right up front, a lot of the things I looked at led me to one person and the dynamic research that this individual did. His name is Michael Gurian, and he is the founder of the Gurian Institute. And they looked deeply into how to help genders, specifically boys, girls, and learning traits and characteristics and behavior support for all for uh, genders. It's really groundbreaking stuff, and he's been doing it for decades. he's written something like 25 books, not all just like about boys, but those were the things that really drew my focus towards him. So a lot of the things that that I've learned come from him, but not just from him. There are a variety of people who've done work in this area, and I've also learned things on my own, whether it be teaching uh, kids with disabilities and teaching kids with behavior challenges, a lot of those being boys, and also through my own experiences with my son. This episode, I'm going to dive into uh, a little bit about specifics on boys and, and like some brain research that you probably don't know. I'm not going to geek out too badly because I'm not sure how many of you want to like go deep into that, but I've always been intrigued by it. I'm going to share uh, one of my own personal stories about my son. He was not really able to sit down and take in a special event, and it It drove me nuts to the point where I thought that maybe there was something wrong with him. And I've shared that story with many people. And I've had quite a few parents tell me, thank you for sharing that story. Because they also had similar situations, having a boy or boys. And they felt like they were doing something wrong. Or they felt like there was something wrong with their boy. In reality, it turns out they were just boys. Being boys and doing boy things. One of the things that I'll get into later on... I want to finish up with some practical ideas for you working with your boys at home, but also maybe some things you can share with teachers or staff at school because school environments are set up more for girls to be successful. Number one reason, learning styles. Now, what I'm going to do is generalize some things, but I want to remind you the important piece here is that every kid has their own unique individual brain. And so when I group together some thoughts around boys, you may be thinking, well, that's not my kid. My son doesn't do that. Or, you know, I've got a girl and she does that. And she's a girl. Well, every brain is different. But in order to analyze this situation of how we can help boys, we kind of need to take more of a holistic approach and look at them more as a group. But I don't want you to... I don't want you to be offended if you're like, my goodness, my boy doesn't do that. That's not true. That's not true because um, my nephew, he doesn't do that. Well, yeah, they're their own individuals. My quickest example I'll give you is my daughter. She does not fit what many people would think of learning styles for a girl. So when we talk about learning styles, we start to think about girls do really well learning through visual types of learning and also audio types of learning. So there's, not to geek out too much, there is four different what they call modalities. Visual, auditory, kinesthetic, and tactile. 
So those are the four main ways that we take in information, right? And that's not groundbreaking. That's been around for ages. And we know that. And everybody's their own unique learner. And some, you know, you may have a couple of those things that you do really well. And that's how you learn. You could be a visual learner. You could also be a kinesthetic learner, right? But in general, what we know is a lot of girls are visual and auditory learners. My daughter does not fit that bill. She is definitely a hands-on person. She's a self-proclaimed tomboy, and she likes to build, and she likes to get involved with engineering and figuring out how things work, like the mechanical side of your brain. That does not fit thought processes of how we think girls will obtain information. But what we know in general is that girls will use visual and auditory modalities to learn. That's how many of them learn what we know in classrooms, whether it be elementary, middle, high school. A lot of those classrooms are set up with a visual and auditory learning style process, and that can work really well. However, Many, many, many of our boys are kinesthetic learners. They learn by movement. They are tactile learners. They want to grab onto things and they want to do stuff. Yes, many classrooms provide all kinds of opportunities for boys and girls to learn in this way. But what I'm telling you is a lot of our schools don't provide enough. And so when I say Schools are built for girls. That's really what I'm getting at. It's not that schools are denying boys opportunities. That's not it at all. And it's not even intentional. What I'm saying is probably the majority of our learning in schools is either visual or it's auditory. The more we can utilize movement, the more we can utilize hands-on approaches, more opportunities we're going to have for boys to be successful as well. If you look at a pre-K classroom, the preschool classrooms, it's not always just sit it's not always just sit down and do this or do that. It's learning by playing, it's learning by building, it's learning by action. The boys in the classrooms at the pre-K level get a lot of opportunities to do that kind of learning, and I really think it's helpful. I honestly wish we had more opportunities at all of the grade levels for all kids to learn in that way. But what happens in schools is we are very results-driven, and we drive towards a result, whether it's you know a state test result or getting through the pacing of a curriculum and we got to get through this unit in this amount of time. We're very results-oriented. And so what ends up happening then is we start flying through curriculum or going through material at a pace that's not developmentally friendly for a lot of kids. And it also doesn't allow us to do as much creative instructional approaches like building in movement into your lessons, like building in opportunities where kids are moving things, touching things, building things, whatever the approach is. And I'm not just talking about elementary school, by the way. I really wish more and more approaches were like science at the high school, right? You have labs. You're doing things. All of the kids are taking in information in exceptional ways in those opportunities. It doesn't matter the gender. 
I just wish we had more opportunities like that because I know boys learn really well through kinesthetic and tactile learning. doesn't mean that they're not good at learning with visual and auditory modalities. It's just in general, boys lean that direction more. Let me share a few other things about boys that I've learned along the way, and then I'm going to dive into a, my own specific story about my son a, as a toddler and the challenges that he created because his engine didn't stop, and he's not unique. Young boys, their engine is full charge. They are on the go. Part of it's because they're taking in the world. They are learning as they go. They're learning all kinds of things, the good, the bad, and everything in between, and they don't necessarily need somebody to guide them through all of that. Much of that learning they can do on their own. I'm looking forward to sharing that story with you in just a minute. And first, let me share a few things that we know about boys. There are many, many boys who are labeled as behavior problems. It's a wide variety of reasons why that may be. Maybe, maybe there's trauma involved with some kind of trauma in their lives. Many times it could be something like a disability, autism, or ADHD that makes it more difficult that for them to function in a classroom. However, I want to point this out, and I would say this about any kid, but specific to what our topic is today, you don't fix boys. In other words, if your kid at home, you're like, I don't know why they won't just sit down and do their homework. Well, number one, it might be because it was a long day and they were grinding through school giving their best effort and they're probably over it. But also, it may not be the most interesting thing to them at the moment. And it's tough to motivate if there's not a high interest level. So many times when we've got kids at home, whatever it is we're trying to get them to work on, they're not having it and maybe their behaviors aren't ideal. And we think... I'm just going to ground them. I'm just going to give them a punishment. But what I'll tell you is this. Behavior is learned. Behavior is learned. Whether it's doing homework or focusing on a topic or focusing on attention or the ability to sit down for an extended period of time. Behavior is learned. And it's not always at the same pace for every kid. Your 16-year-old boy might be more willing to sit down and do their homework as opposed to your six-year-old son, who's not having it because he's already gone through and given his best all day, and now he is just, he'd much rather just run around the house. That doesn't make it easy for you, but there is a reason behind his behavior. And I will go into another episode at some point on behaviors, but I want you to know is, what I want you to know is this, is actually learned, like we learn reading, we learn math, we learn how to behave and how to act in certain situations, even if it's doing homework, we learn that over time and it's not always at the same pace. In other words, maybe your nephew at the age of seven comes home and immediately sits down and does their homework. But your eight-year-old that you have in your house still gives you a hard time about it. That's okay. I mean, it's not okay because he's giving you a hard time, right? But what I'm saying is in a bigger picture, it's okay if they're not at the exact same spots developmentally. Everybody learns at a different pace, and many boys will pick it up over time. So let me give you some quick brain research. I could go on for hours about this, but I'm just going to pick out a couple, and this might help calm your nerves about your son and maybe some of your worries. We talked a little bit about older boys 
having challenges with impulsivity, that is definitely a characteristic of our younger boys as well. There's a reason for that. Impulsivity comes from the prefrontal cortex, and it does not develop as quickly in males as it seems to in females. Again, yes, there are plenty of boys who can sit down, behave themselves extremely well, and fit themselves into a classroom where they're just, you know, old old school style where I'll sit up straight and listen all the time. There are boys who will do that. However, there are plenty who struggle with impulsivity. And there are a lot of parents who are worried that their their boy might have ADHD. It is really tough to decipher that until they get a little bit older. You start to see disabilities of ADHD diagnosed more like 8, 9, 10 what happens is many boys start to figure out how to behave and handle themselves in the classroom. And then there's some kids who are still need a little bit more behavior support. And that may end up leading to them reaching out to see if there, there is a diagnosis of, of ADHD. The impulsivity can be in any boy at a young age is what I'm getting at. It's just that part of the brain's not developed well enough yet. Here's another piece. What we know about boys more in general is that the parts of their brain that are utilized for the mecha- like mechanical kinds of operations or spatial thinking, that is definitely firing more in a lot of boys at younger ages. On the other hand, girls have a lot of firing in their brains on the verbal and what they would call the emotive, like the emotional uh, components of your brain that develop feelings. So what that leads to is in young girls an ability to verbalize and express language in a much more sophisticated way than a lot of boys do. This is not rocket science, but it is absolutely true. There are so many girls who do much better at things like writing in the elementary school than boys. As a matter of fact, a lot of boys hate writing. You know why? They have a hard time expressing language. They may become great writers at some point, but it can be a struggle for a lot of our boy a lot of our boys at the younger ages because those parts of our of the brain in a boy are not quite firing on full cylinder yet. It hasn't developed to the point where it needs to. And let's just be honest, in general, girls even as adults, females are usually more expressive with language. Here's a quick example. A couple years ago, I was in a professional development session. I wasn't running this one. I was just attending. And uh, the person running it was just, you know, doing a random question, held up an orange and said, let's describe this. (laughs) She called on a a random guy and he said, it's orange. So we all had a little giggle. And they called on, she called on one of the the ladies in the group. She went into detail about the texture of it, a more specific color than just orange, like just laid out a full expressive language statement but the dude was like it's orange right that's pretty common for guys in general so why does that matter it matters for a lot of different reasons number one we're asking boys to try to express their feelings we're asking boys to try to express language verbally in written form we're asking boys to express how why certain things happen or why they did something and those things don't always come easy That's also older boys, too. Those kinds of things are not as easy. It's why a lot of times when you ask your boy that comes home from school, how's your day? Good. You don't get a whole lot more than that. A good example in our house is that's very common 
That's a very common response from my son. I ask my girls, I get a full detailed description of the events of the day. Entirely different, right? I'm going to give you one more area that I I'd want to focus on. So just an interesting piece of information that I've learned. So the idea of expressive language also filters into another category, friendships. A lot of times how girls and boys approach friendships are entirely different. And this may be the biggest area of how boys are misunderstood. So because girls are able to express themselves a little bit more and they're more detailed with expressing feelings, a lot of times they're able to communicate with their friends in a more, what we would say, civilized manner. I go back to Michael Gurian. He has like different styles of nurturance and he labels what males as aggressive nurturance. So in other words, a boy's way of playing is not exactly like a girl's way of playing. So a lot of the times you'll take a boy and put them together with another boy, especially when they're young, and all of a sudden they'll start pushing each other. They'll start banging into each other. One quick example, this was quite a few years ago when my nephew had a birthday party and all the, the boys, they didn't, many of them didn't even know each other. They showed up at the house, and then we were going to go do something. And while we were talking to the parents, all the boys went out to the trampoline. Again, they didn't really even know each other. However, instead of talking with each other, what ensued in two minutes of time was all of those boys now throwing each other around. So oddly enough, that is actually what we would call nurturance. In other words, that's how you're communicating with your friends. Or in this case, people I'm trying to become friends with. It seems bizarre, right? Like it seems bizarre. Hey, it's nice to meet you. Now I'm going to throw you across this trampoline. <laughs> but that is what boys do. A lot of the times, boys will develop friendships around something. A trampoline, a ball. It's not a lot of times boys are just going to sit down and just chat with each other about a variety of things. It can happen, sure. But... Usually, there's a focal point. All right, I'm going to hang out with you, and we're going to do this. We're going to video game together. We're going to play video games together. I'm going to hang out you with you, and we're going to kick the soccer ball around. I'm going to hang out with you, and we're going to ride bikes. Like, there is a focal point around something they do. And this is de definitely true at the young age, but it's also true with older boys, too. Even adult males, right? Like, it's not a lot of times when, when, men, when men are like, Hey, let's hang out and just talk. It's usually like, hey, let's watch a game, right? There's, there's something that, that we're trying to do that pulls the friendship together. And it's not that girls don't do that. Many of them do. What I'm saying is it is much more likely to happen for boys that they're going to develop a friendship around something. And that might actually be something that doesn't look like a behavior that you would want in a classroom. So it might be, I'm knocking into you, I'm pushing into you, but it's not for a violent reason. It's because I'm developing a bond with you. And if you're not, it's not, you don't have to be a male to understand it because there are plenty of awesome women who work really, really well with our, with our boys. But what I'm saying is you have to be open to that understanding. If you can see it, there's a difference between I'm going to try to hurt you versus let's have some fun. Let's toss each other around. Can you get hurt? Yeah, 
but there's a difference in why they're doing it. And that's sometimes complicated to try to figure out. And that doesn't always fit well into a classroom. Again, we go back to a lot of times our schools are built for a model where a girl will be successful, not as much built towards something where a boy is going to be successful. So all of that packaged up, I would say it's odd, but that is how boys transmit love. It's how they tra- <laughs> It's how boys share friendship. I'm going to throw you. I'm going to push you. I'm going to hit you on the arm. That seems very odd, and it seems inappropriate, but what it is, boys expressing themselves in an odd way. Now, I'm not saying just let them go ahead and beat the tar out of each other. What I'm saying is in order to get to the point where you can help your child in whatever it is that you need, and many times when we talk about boys, we're talking about behaviors. In order for you to get to that point, you have to at least try to have an understanding of why the behavior might be happening. In this next segment, I'm going to share with you a specific example of my son and his interesting behaviors that created plenty of challenges for me. It's time to get recharged, people. In this recharge portion, I'm going to share with you a story about my son as a young four-year-old and how his engine did not make it easy to sit through a specific activity. Let me take you back a few years. So, when my son was three, I tried multiple times to take him to story time at the library, right? Like, I wanted to take him and have him experience a story read by somebody else, a read aloud, and all the fun and exciting things that go along with that. When I showed up multiple times at the library to attempt this, I noticed a couple things. Besides the fact that I was, like, usually only dad there, there was also not a lot of boys there. What I grew to realize was there's probably a reason for that. You see, the couple times I tried when he was three, he sat for maybe all of 30 seconds. And then it ended up being me chasing him around the library, and then I would give up. However, the following year, at the beginning of the summer, one of the libraries posted, It's Father's Day, and we're going to invite all the fathers to come in bring your kids, and we're going to read a book for story time. And I was like, yes, not only will I not be the only dude there, but my son's a year older. I think it's time. He's going to handle this well. That's not how it went at all, actually. But I was prepared. Like, I, I always think about preparation, right? So I this time, I learned, you know what? What makes my son stop for a minute? Snacks. It's what makes every kid stop for a minute. So I went locked and loaded. I had my bag. I had like these little honey, honey graham bears that he loved. I had a lot of them. I had goldfish. I had juice boxes. I was locked and loaded. And I took my son to this special Father's Day event. Supposedly built for fathers. Yet I was again the only father there. And I looked around the room. And there were two boys and probably like, I don't know, 15 girls. And I was amazed immediately at the behavior of the two boys. You know, sat in their mother's laps and they were sitting there quietly getting ready, you know, waiting for the story time to start. And I sat down with my son 
And I was like, okay, what I'm going to do, here's my plan. I'm going to hold off on the snacks as long as I can. And then I'll use them to help him stay (laughs) focused and get us through the story. It's going to work like a charm, right? Except it didn't. Instead, he sat down. Story time started. She read the title of the book. She opened up the first page. And all of a sudden, my son got the wiggles. And I could tell. You know, you learn your kid's behavior tendencies and you kind of know, like, he's about ready to to get up and who knows what will happen then. So I automatically went to what I was ready for, start pulling out the gun, start pulling out snacks. Now, I had thought about my kid, but what I hadn't thought about was, you know, not only does he love snacks, but other kids in the library... They might love snacks too. And so what ended up happening was I pretty much just fed my son like a little bird. He's saying, here, take a a honey bear. Take another honey bear. Take another honey bear. And I tried that and it worked for like two minutes. And then it started to wear, like that started to wear off. But what ended up happening was other kids were like, ooh, this guy's got snacks. And I didn't know how to deal with that. And so I started giving out a few snacks, and I remember the the death stares I got from many of the moms in the group, and probably rightly so. And that's not the, that's not where I was going with this story. Where I was going was, those honey bears and the goldfish, they wore off quickly, probably within less than five minutes. I was, again, chasing my four-year-old around the library, and I walked out of there with my head held low, you know, my head was hanging, and I felt shame. Like, I'm not a good dad. I, don't know, I can't even get my kid to sit for five minutes for story time. You know, this great event, listening to a story, and, and I was unsuccessful. What I realized, though, and this from somebody who probably knew better, because I had, I've done so much work with boys <laughs> throughout all my teaching career. At that point, I've been a teacher for at least 10 years, And I knew, I knew better, but still I felt guilt. I felt like, you know, I I didn't have control of my son and, and I'm doing something wrong, but in reality, it was developmental. You know what happened? He went to kindergarten the next year. And I remember the first parent teacher conference, his teacher, who was, is an awesome person. She was like, he needs to stand sometimes and that's okay. And I said, Bless you. (laughs) Bless you for understanding that. And I remember her telling me, this happens a lot with a lot of our boys. He's going to learn to sit, but it's just going to take some time. And you know what? By the end of kindergarten, he did sit more often, and he got better at it. As time wore on, I'm happy to announce he's in high school. He sits, and he listens, and he learns to the best of his abilities. I'm not saying he's not without his downfalls, but he's a different human because he's had time to develop. So much of what happens with our boys is that we push them into that world and they're not ready for it. Sit and listen. Sit and listen. When his mind is going, play, push, build, have fun. Play, push, build, have fun. Again, it is really tough for our young boys to sit and listen to a story at a young age. 
they get better at it. And I'm not telling you, don't read to your boys. That is not, you will not hear that from me. Actually, it's the opposite. The more you can read to them, the better off they're going to be. You're going to build that expressive language component in their brain. You're going to get them to be able to uh, build their vocabulary. There are so many good things that come from your boys hearing stories read aloud. The list goes on and on. That's not what I'm getting at. What I'm getting at is to ask them to do it for extensive periods of time is not going to be successful for a lot of boys. It's something they will build up to. Over time, they will get better. And just like my son's kindergarten teacher who realized and still does to today, she's still an amazing kindergarten teacher, they just need a little bit of time to learn that behavior. We can't just rush them all the time because it's not just rush them to get things how we want them to be. That's not how a brain develops. So in the end, you either learn this lesson as a parent or a teacher the easy way by listening and picking up to cues on the in, on their behaviors and what they're telling you, or you learn it like me the hard way and you keep going back to library time and putting yourself through what ends up being torture and chasing your son around and he's just not ready for that experience yet. So let me finish up with giving you some practical ideas on what you can do to help your son. I am just giving like the tip of the iceberg here. Like there's, I could give you hours worth of information on this topic. I'm just trying to pick out some of the main things. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll circle back to this in another episode and give you a little bit deeper dive. But what I want to share with you are some practical ideas. And really these are things that I share with educators. Like I've actually had quite a few professional development sessions where I share research and variety of ways that we can work specifically with boys. I'm going to give you just a couple of the main pieces that I share with them. First off, the thing I will say is a lot of what you want from kids in general, regardless of whether they are 5 or 15, an atmosphere where they feel like they can try and not just fail and feel consequence from that. Let me give you an academic example. If I want my first grader to be able to add using blocks, right? Like maybe I'm doing three plus two and I want him to be able to add them together and I give him three and I give him two and I say, okay, and I try to teach him the process and he's not successful. He needs to know it's okay. Same thing goes with behavior. So if I want them to do something in a different way, whether it's a boy or girl or anything, I told you behavior is learned, I want to make sure that they feel like there's an atmosphere like I'm not going to immediately give you a punishment or discipline you if you get this wrong, if you don't do this the exact way. I want them to just try because a lot of what we want them to do to get better at is just try. Try something without a fear of I'm going to fail at it. You know, like a consequence that goes along with it. Take that off the table altogether. If I want to teach my boy how to sit at the dinner table, I need to make sure that I understand he might not be completely successful with that right from the jump. And I might have to build it over time, which leads me to the next part. So really it's atmosphere. And I need to understand If I can give him an atmosphere of he's willing to try, then what am I going to do if he is actually going to try? Give an effort, not be successful 
Maybe he's not to the goal yet. Maybe he's not getting it. He's not sitting at the dinner table 15 minutes yet. He's only sitting for 30 seconds. But that might be an improvement. It might be an area where he's trying. I need to acknowledge that. I need to, I always say, you got to have big eyes. Regardless of, of who it is we're working with, with behaviors, you got to have big eyes. You need to be able to see, not that they've gotten to the goal, that they are trying and praise the mess out of that. That is not just for little kids. It's not just for a five and six-year-old boys. That's also for our teens, believe it or not. I told you before, I used to be a high school soccer coach. If I was going to put a player in a situation where I knew they felt uncomfortable, I would really have to just drum up the praise. I'll give you an example. As a soccer coach, the one thing that a lot of players did not like to do was kick the ball with their off foot. So you have a lot of right-footed players. They didn't like to kick the ball with their left foot. So I knew if I was going to make them shoot on goal with their left foot, they were going to be uncomfortable. I needed to make sure that even if they didn't come off pretty, I found something to praise each of them about. It's building them up, right? I'm building them up. Going to the previous episode, kind of like you know, building confidence, same kind of thing. I want to be have big eyes. It doesn't have to be perfect. I know they're trying. I want to praise that. I want to make sure that they that there's a good atmosphere so that they are not going to feel like I tried this and I was not successful and now I'm going to have a consequence. I tried to go to story time. That didn't work out. I was all over the place. It was a mess. So now my parents are going to ground me and I'm not going to be able to watch TV for a day. That's not what that's not the approach we want. It should be Hey, you stay out there for 30 seconds this time. Well, that is that is a step in the right direction. I'm really proud of you for that 30 seconds. We're going to see if we can go a little longer next time. That could be our approach. I want to touch on the idea of what do we do about the expressive language, right? Because that, like I said before, it's a big issue. With boys, they're just not as verbal. So what do we do? You flood them with language you flood them with all kind you want to have a house environment where they're hearing all kinds of language and they need to be able to hear people talking people talking to them they need models of communication much more difficult like if you're a single mom and it's just you and your son really difficult what you could do in that situation though let them hear you talking on the phone or maybe you're just talking to them even more, ratcheting up even more. My wife works for a real loud organization. And one of the programs they do with pre-K kids is kind of guide the, uh, the mothers. Uh, that's the group they're working with. The mothers through the process of getting their kids to hear more and more language. And when I say language, it's not necessarily like from the TV. Hopefully it's from you. And they're hearing you talk as much as you possibly can. So the, for our young boys, really important. And maybe it is maybe it is reading a story. Whatever it is, they just need to hear and be exposed to more words, more language, more expressive, more expressive language where your voice, the tones of your voice goes up and down, and building their vocabulary. That's a big component here. We try to build up more words for them to understand so that they can actually use more words as they get more, as their brain develops a little bit more. The opposite 
is what we want from them too. We want them to have opportunities to talk with us too because it's not just them hearing. We'd like for them to be able to try to talk and communicate their feelings or communicate whatever it is they're talking about. Here is my best suggestion for that. Utilize the things they're interested in. If you ask a boy to come, when they come home from school, hey, tell me about your day. Eh, it's good. Or, eh, it was okay. Instead, maybe what we need is allow them to have more opportunities to talk about whatever it is that fires them up in a good way. A video game, a sport, music, and having conversations. And you might not be all into it, right? Like, believe me, my son talks about video games and I am not into the video games. But if if I catch him right as a teenager, and I know he does. As a teenage boy, he's not the most expressive individual in the world. But if I get him on the right topic that really interests him, a lot comes out of him. And so that's good for him to be able to just provide whatever language it is that's flowing out of him. Because even at the the high school level, a lot of our boys still have a hard time getting language out. And that ends up turning into really challenges with writing too. So the more we can get them to talk, the better off they're going to be. And again, it goes back to the atmosphere. What happens a lot of times with parents, and I'm speaking from my my experiences here, we get upset. They're not telling me enough, so I get upset. In reality, I'm really hurting myself because now they start to think, if I don't say the right things, they're going to get upset with me. So instead, I'm not going to say anything at all. And that's detrimental. What we want is the opposite approach. We want them to be able to talk and feel like it is an atmosphere whether it be at school or at home, where they can communicate. The last thing I want to share with you is an idea that we would share in the education world. It's called social stories, examples of what you would like them to do. In other words, if I want a specific behavior to happen, maybe I can use a story to help that. Maybe you can look into your past and give them a connection, something that you remember or something that you saw another kid do, pull that in as a story. Those stories are really powerful. I'm a big believer in, in use, utilizing stories. It was a, As a teacher, I hit kids with stories every single day. It is a really good learning tool. It's also why I intertwine you know, some of my silly stories in all my podcasts, whether it be this one or even in the one I do for educa- educators as well. I think it's a good way for everybody's brain to just kind of take a break and give you something that's not like, um, it's just kind of easy listening. Think of it like that, like easy listening, but it draws you in. So if I'm able to use an example of whatever it is that I'm trying to teach, I'm probably going to be more likely to have it resonate with them. So providing examples through possibly a story, a connection, is that will help them you know, hit home a little bit more. Again, these are just a few. I got a lot of different things I could share with you, and I'm trying to keep it in a, a decent amount of time and not over flood or, or do what we would call brain saturation, because if I give you too much, then you're not going to have much to take away. So those are just a few things. In the end, the most important thing that you need to take away from all of this is that your son, your boy, whoever, or boys that are in your life, they have unique brains, they have unique behaviors, and sometimes we just need to pause and try to understand what that comes from. 
And once we understand what that comes from, then we can maybe figure out ways to help them because behaviors don't always happen just because kids are being bad. Matter of fact, that's not what happens. Instead, you have specific things that happen. Impulse control, for example. Maybe a boy decides to do something and you're like, wow, that is really bizarre. Why on earth would that happen? And it may actually have a specific reason why he did it. It may be bizarre to everyone else, but to him, jumping off the couch was a good idea because he thought maybe he could get some real air and work on his landing technique. Who knows? Seems bizarre, right? But that is a boy's mind. Their mind is developed in a different kind of way. It is very much an interactive, engaging brain where I want to do, I want to grab things, I want to experience things, I want to move my body, and all of that doesn't always fit in well to what we have going on at home. It doesn't always fit in well to what's happening in the school day and a classroom, but that's a big piece of who they are. And in order for us to get them where they need to go, it's a developmental process and we need to guide them on that journey. And it's not always easy. And in the end, maybe you will be like me because I know a lot of parents are where you're like, oh, my boy, his engine is just crazy. Or my son, his impulsivity is through the roof or whatever it is. It's not always you. <laughs> a lot of times it's them learning learning the world, learning the surroundings, learning how to do specific things. And it's not always an easy process. So hang in there, fellow parents. Thank you so much for listening today. I appreciate you out there. I also appreciate any feedback. If you have any feedback about the good, the bad, and everything in between, feel free to reach out to me. You can email me at rechargecommunity at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. And if you have some real challenges with maybe the boys in your life or any of the kids in your family, you feel like you need some help, feel free to send me a text. I'm happy to meet with you on a Zoom. Thanks again. Have a great one. Matter of fact, the only thing I do know is that most of the time I don't know. Dad, you're super cringy. Is your 9- or 10-year-old already starting to fill out their application for Harvard, Yale, or Oxford? Parenting is just flat-out messy sometimes. If you happen to like this stuff from the short bald dude, new episodes drop every other Thursday. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you think he's halfway decent, you can also rate and review. You can also send him some feedback too if you email him at rechargecommunity at gmail.com. You can share ideas on future topics or just yell at him for his horrible sense of humor. We do it all the time. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. We'd like to give a shout out to Kevin McLeod for the use of his music. You can check out his information in the show notes below.